Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Despicable Me. That's right, we're finally at the first one. Finally, I mean, like, it's it's in order. It's not a backwards order, but it's not like there was a big gap or anything. That's true. Unlike with uh, Toy Story 2, where we randomly recorded Toy Story 2 and still haven't done the other ones yet. I really think we should do Toy Story 1 and 3 at some point. They're both great movies. They are. But today we're talking about Despicable Me, the first one. Despicable Me is a 2010 movie. It is uh, written by Cinco Paul and Ken Dario, per- directed by Pierre Kaufman and Chris Renard, director of the other two movies as well. It stars Steve Carroll, Jason Siegel, Russell Brand, Kristen Wiig, Miranda Carlsgove, Will Arnett, and Julie Andrews. Isn't it Carell? Carol, Carell? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. And is it Jason Siegel or Jason Seagal? It's Steven Seagal, Jason Siegel. That's how you tell the difference. It's the only difference between them. One of them's a bird. Oh, and their first names are different. The first names are also different. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about the plot of this movie, Paul? I certainly do. Gru is a semi-successful supervillain with a plan to steal the moon. Crucial to his plan is the securement of a shrink ray, but the shrink ray is stolen from him by rival villain Vector. Gru comes up with a plot to steal the shrink ray back, but in order to do so, he'll need to use three unsuspecting orphan girls as unwilling moles. To do that, he needs to adopt them, and so he does. But once he's adopted them, they change his heart, and he decides to keep them and continue being a villain. (laughs) (laughs) But he steals, he returns the moon to space. But not because his heart has changed from villainy, just because the shrink ray wasn't permanent. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Everyone lives happily ever after, but Vector does so on the moon. He must eventually die, I guess, because, like, we never hear from him again and he's on the moon. Yeah, and there's no food there. Yeah. Or oxygen run out for vector he has a like a bubble head yeah but like how long can that possibly last i mean it's in this universe i think forever true i think he has we can if he can have a bubble head at all we can assume that he has a way of producing oxygen or something like whatever yeah you're right i guess he's he's an inventor guy anyway it's the food that's the problem i think we've got slightly off track we have already so objectively what do we think of this movie it's hard not to compare it to the other two Despicable Me movies. Yeah. And in that context, I want to just start by saying, without, I mean, without a big surprise, this is by far the best Despicable Me movie. Yeah, it is the superior of the three slash four. So, I mean, why don't we start by talking about uh, highlights? Mm-hmm. And one of the highlights as with Despicable Me 2, I think the humor in this movie is, like, really hitting it. It's it is, quite yeah. quite a funny movie. A lot of the humor really works. It's well-conceived. It's well-executed. The minions are funny. Gru is funny. The slapstick is funny. The, like... I want to point out one of the highlights in terms of humor is when Gru reads... That picture book. To I was going to get. I was going to get to that because I Were thought that was more. Of, that? I thought that was more of like a personal enjoyment thing than an objective thing. Okay, well, let's talk about it in that context. Also, I won't go into it in detail, but just to say that that's an example of a very funny moment of which there are many. The humor is really good. It in is, this and movie. it's it's the original. You know, it's it started everything to do with this franchise, and so the minions are funny. The slapstick is funny. Like it's. Uh, none of the jokes in it are callbacks. The jokes in it are the original joke. And so that's what makes it, I think, the funniest thing, is it's not trying to reproduce anything else. It is the production. 
And having watched them in backwards order, you can really see that, that it's all very fresh in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's all very stale by the third one. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's also quite well written in terms of like structure and plotting, like the things, the pieces go together quite well. Uh, and things like, for example, he has this plot to steal the moon and then gradually through the movie, we come to understand that he just wanted to be an astronaut and go to the moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It definitely felt like this one actually had a proper plot with a beginning, a middle and an end. And like, it had proper motivations for all of its characters, including yeah. like the the antagonist Vector. At first, is just like he's another supervillain. Oh, he's the son of the guy from the bank. There, you know, it's there's layers of motivation. It's like it was written to be its own movie and not off the piggyback of a different movie. Yeah, and Vector is a great example because, and what you said about layers of motivation, mm-hmm. I like that uh, point. And Vector is a great example of layers of motivation because he's motivated to uh, take revenge against Gru because Gru froze his head once. He's motivated to show that he's a great supervillain because he's up and coming. But then the more we find out about him, the more like he's trying to show his dad that he can make something of himself. Uh and that connects thematically to Gru is trying to show his mom that he can make something of himself. Mm-hmm. And like it all exactly. is just like makes sense and fits together. And that may be that may sound like I'm damning with faint praise, but it's especially after watching Despicable Me Two and Despicable Me Three, which don't succeed in this. It's really nice to see all the parts of this fit with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And Uh, How about in terms of voice acting? I think everyone is generally doing a good job. I really like the kids, especially the youngest kid. And we've said this in the context of the other two movies, but I'll say it again that like Agnes is a great character and the child actor playing Agnes like does a great job. She's so so cute into her lines. So like so much energy and it's adorable and great. Steve Carell is funny. As funny as I would want him to be. Uh, I think Jason Segel is good. He's I really like Also it. very funny. Yeah. Jason Segel is really good. I I have trouble being objective about him because I just like him in general. But yeah. I felt like he did. Yeah, he did a really good job. And um, I was just going to say Will Arnett as the bank mm-hmm. guy also is doing a really good job, too. I think he's do kind of doing the Will Arnett gravelly voice, uh, but a lot of menace. Yeah. Not a lot of range required of him, but he's pulling it off really well. Mm-hmm. How about Julie Andrews as his mom? I am, st- my mind is still blown by the revelation you gave however many, was it in the last episode? No, that, I think it was two podcasts ago. That Julie Andrews is the mom because... I didn't know that that was her. I don't recognize her voice at all, even knowing that it's her. Yep. She's great. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, like, I can't believe that's Julie Andrews. Also, I thought, for some reason, I thought one of these movies had more of a plot with her in it, but this was the one, I guess. Yeah, it has this her is a little the one bit. where her connection, and it's like, her relationship to Gru matters in this movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yep. Kristen Wiig, who... It plays Lucy in movies two and three is yeah. in this movie also as the uh like running the orphanage yeah miss hattie or whatever miss hattie and that's funny because just when you said it i hadn't heard it till you said it but miss hannigan oh yeah she's absolutely miss hannigan she is yeah i From think Annie. she's fine in this movie but i think lucy's a better role for her she's doing better as lucy than yeah. she is in this yeah I have definitely feelings about Miss Hattie in general, and I don't know. It's not Kristen Wiig's fault, but yeah. In terms of performances, those are my thoughts. I mean, we should say maybe uh, about animation, just that this is uh, not, doesn't look surprising anymore, doesn't look great anymore, because they've done this style and this uh, kind of world again and again in several different movies. Uh, But just to remember that when this first was made, 
both in the context of other movies that were being made at the time, like Megamind, uh, and also just even without comparing it to other things, the quality of animation, the quality of character design, the quality of world design is all really good. I think really well done in this movie. And even the the 3D aspect, like, I mean, we don't have that on our TV, obviously, but the minions at the very end are like taking out a ladder and take, and like hitting each other into the screen. And so like, if you had saw this in the theater in 3d, it would have been really fun to have that end scene and have this whole like 3d aspect of it. Yeah. I think that was kind of fun. I mean, I honestly, I hate 3d movies in the theater, <laughs> but I bet you for kids, that was a fun little thing. The first time we took our young, youngest to go see a 3d movie, she was like trying to grab the things and it was yeah, adorable. It was, it was amazing. Yep. I think there's not a lot more highlight. I mean, there's lots of highlights, but in terms of how this movie is made, it's good. The humor is funny. The production is really good. It's, uh, it's there. We recorded an episode about Megamind, like, I don't know, 50 episodes ago. <laughs> and this is definitely the superior of those two movies. Like they came out yeah. around the same time and they're both about like, what if we focused on the villain and sorry, Megamind despicable me just won that contest. So low lights. Yeah. Is there anything about this movie you think was particularly poorly done? Um, not until we get to the way too seriously part. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same. Like in terms of the quality of movie making, I don't know that there's anything I really want to complain about. Like I could, there's a lot of things I could nitpick, but I don't know that any of them are like things I think they did badly at. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Maybe, I mean, the whole, I, I complimented it before, but the whole vector being uh, the bank guy's son um, nothing comes of that in the end. That thread gets True. very dropped. And the bank in general gets like, they're really important and they're an ominous threat yeah. that then just peters out. And I always will. And throughout the three movies, in fact, I don't think I've brought it up yet, but Dr. Nefario doesn't have a lot of motivation, doesn't have any motivation to be what he is. Yeah. He's, he's a placeholder. He's just... A uh, supportive character for Gru with no motivation of his own at all. Besides, I guess he likes inventing, but why isn't he his own supervillain then? Yeah, that is always a question with Dr. Nefario, and I think it's most dramatic in this movie, actually, because mm -hmm. he doesn't exist in the third movie. He's conspicuously absent in the third movie. Is he? Yeah. He, like, mentions briefly, like, oh, yeah. Dr. Nefario had to leave us. Uh and in the second movie is kind of about him trying to find somewhere else to be. Yeah. But in this movie, it's like, well, Gru's not the one who comes up with the evil, like, he, Gru's not the mad scientist. Mm hmm So, what, why isn't Dr. Nefario a villain if he's nefarious and scientifically talented? Like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. I think he's a fun character and well-voiced, though. Yes, I do like him in general. But yeah. But yeah, there is that, that he has some issues. Other than that, like, my, I have, I have serious issues with it. And I, but I don't know that I have anything that I think that in terms of the craft, they did badly. Like, this is a well-made movie in terms mm -hmm. of craft. Absolutely. Apart from your objective judgment... How do you feel about this movie? How much did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it a lot. I was surprised at how much the other two movies weren't as good because this movie was quite good. Like, this is the one that hooked me in the first place with this series. And so, like, I mean, the humor with... I, it's such a small scene, but that stupid book with the cats is just, like, yeah, tell us about deeply... That. Oh my goodness, so funny. Like I mean like I I just want to include that entire clip in our in our podcast here and I don't know how much of it we can because it's quite long. We won't include the whole clip. I'll include a little bit of it. But summarize what is so funny. Why is that so funny why, to you? I why mean, do you enjoy why it so I much? enjoy it so much? Because it's 
I feel like any parent who's had, you know, a two or three-year-old has had these books in their house that I don't know where they come from. People give them to you. They magically appear in your house because they're not library books. No. That have like puppets in them and lift the flaps. And they're not written by an author. They're written by (laughs) a company. Wow. This is garbage. You actually like this? And they're just like, the cat is doing blah. It's so da 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 da. And like, the way that Gru reads this book and he's like, This is literature? A two-year-old could have written this. Exactly, exactly how I felt, how I feel about those books. They're so bad. And they're good. And as a librarian, there are good choices for board books. And I will tell you all of those choices if you ask me. But and then there's bad board books and bad children's books like this one. What's kind of like, hilarious oh. is that this book actually is way above par. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it even is better if than... If this was a real board book, it, would, it wouldn't be great, but it would be far above the middle. Yeah, it would be better than some of the stuff that's out there. it has a plot. It's a thing that happens. The puppets have purposes. There's a theme even in it that like, and there's some kind of comedy because the mother kitten uh, is like, okay, just stroke your fur if you don't want to go to bed. And you, the the two-year-old reading it, can tell that the mother's manipulating the kid and that, (laughs) you know, like... Yeah, that's true. It's actually... Quite a well-written little <laughs> uh, book, but oh. uh, relatively speaking. Mm, but, but the I mean, emotion that grew is oh, like, I, I really don't like this book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I have, oh man, grew. I, I felt this feeling. Oh, so, and then at the end of the movie, he, he's like, it was accidentally <laughs> maliciously destroyed. <laughs> Because that has happened in our house. That no. Books that we don't like reading. Never. Malic- yeah, okay. Maybe accidentally, accidentally somehow left the house and never came back. Okay. I don't know what happened to them. They got lost in the move. You know what? <laughs> did, you, did your parents ever tell you that something got lost in the move? Can I tell you something? Drop a truth bomb on you as a parent? Yeah, they threw that out. Nothing got lost in the move. I mean, okay, some things do, but nothing got lost in the move. They threw here. that out because they didn't like it. They didn't. It was a great excuse. We're <laughs> moving. We can just get rid of this garbage. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, it's so man. funny. It cracked. Like, and it, I mean, I know that it's a tiny part of the movie, but it really is. The first time I watched this, what completely sold me on this movie was that scene. Yeah, agreed. Because it makes you feel like it connects you to a villain. It makes you feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm a villain too, like this guy. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I mean, if we're talking about uh, scenes that are funny, scenes that are like the opening scene is quite good of him walking around, like making a balloon animal for a kid just so he can pop it. And like, that's all fun. Uh but yeah, it's when it gets to moments where you're like, it's not just general misanthropic uh, jerkiness that I'm relating to. It's like, I don't know, I, I do want to destroy my kids' books. Yeah. Or, even, or like the carnival game that's rigged yeah. to be able to just destroy that stupid carnival game so the kid can get the toy. Yeah. What did you think was, what did you like about this movie? What, or what's your personal opinion about this movie? Did you like it? I liked it. I think I've said before on this show many times, and I was just talking to my daughter, uh, my our older daughter earlier in relation to a different movie about like, I like a movie when it uh, affects my emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, a funny movie can be funny. Despicable Me 2 was quite funny, but I didn't like it nearly as much as this movie. And a big part of that is because this movie uh, connected with me emotionally. And the, like, that carnival, I mean, it connected with me emotionally 
even the joke of destroying the kids' books, the emotion that I'm connected to is like frustration with having to read poor quality books, but that's an emotional connection. Yeah. And much more so the like, I feel for these three girls who no one wants to adopt them. I feel for Gru who has an opportunity to kind of um, undo his neglectful the way that he was raised neglectfully by being uh, kind and supportive of new children. Mm-hmm. Like that, it got me. And the moment yep. when uh, there's the family tree and they've drawn in crayon underneath the family tree, like it's blatantly manipulative, but it worked. It manipulated me into being <laughs> like, look, they're part of his family now. And when the minion is washing it off again, like... Yeah. I didn't cry in this movie, but uh, we should keep a tally. Jan didn't fall asleep and I didn't cry. True. But, uh, you know, I cared about Gru. I cared about mm-hmm. the kids. I cared about Gru. I wanted them to get back together and I was happy when they did. And that's like, as far as my enjoyment of a movie, I want to be emotionally engaged. And I was. So the humor was great and I liked that, but what really makes me enjoy the movie is that I cared about the characters and it moved me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's get into the uh, way, way too serious, 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 serious portion of our show. Let's. Where would you like to start talking about this movie way too seriously? Oh boy. I've got some things to say that I don't know if it's what you've got to say, so I'm going to say it just off the top here. Yeah. Which is, let's talk about adoption and fostering. And it's something that we haven't talked a lot about on this show. No. I don't think. But maybe because we haven't talked about shows like Finding Dory and, and stuff. But it's important in a kid's movie to be cautious about themes of adoption and foster parenting and finding your real family and whatnot, because there will always be children watching this who are in foster care, who are, who are adopted. Yeah. And so the way in which this movie treats that is there's bad and there's good. So what's the, what's the bad? I mean, the bad is a thousand. I'm I'm going to start with what's the good, because the good is small. There's a small amount of good. The good is these children find, uh, are adopted by a loving parent eventually. Yeah. The good is uh, hope for children to, to be adopted, to find a parent who can love them, to find a parent who, even if they're non-traditional single parent or whatnot, that there can be love there. Yep. But, however, everything about Miss Hattie's school for girl, home for girls is atrocious, Uh is played for laughs, is like this horrible, abusive environment is played for laughs. Like the box of shame. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, it might be, you know, like, we can laugh at it. It's funny. It's really, you know, it's over the top on purpose, except for when you know that there might be a child watching this who is in foster care, who is in, even in, even not in foster care with their parents, who is in that kind of abusive family, and they don't realize that that's supposed to be wrong. Yeah. I mean... I imagine you have more to say, but let's dwell for just a moment on Miss Hattie's Home for Girls and yes, the deal with exactly. it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because absolutely, I think that the uh, intention is that it is so over the top as to be like disconnected from any real foster situation. So mm-hmm. it's like a Dickensian orphanage rather than like she's Miss Hannigan or it's a Dickensian orphanage and she's like out getting them selling cookies to make money so that they can like whatever. I guess she's pocketing the money we can even assume and like yeah. the box of shame and no one's ever going to adopt you. And it's all very, very over the top. 
And I think the hope was making it that that over-the-topness would would, uh, inoculate them against children watching and identifying with that situation. Here's the thing, though. It's not over-the-top enough. Yeah, She, Miss Hattie, is sickeningly sweet about it and never traditional villain. Yeah. Never, um, I feel like, it would have been better if they had had her lose her mask and scream at the girls. Show some straight up villainy. Because then it would be obvious to anyone watching it that she is not supposed to ever be like what a parent, what a foster parent, what a carer of children should be like. I agree completely. I think... uh they think making this that they're making her over the top as heartbreaking that it isn't an over the top. Yep. That it's unlikely, uh, like it's overly cartoony. So unlikely to be representative that like the box of shame in that literally a way, but like, Parents and guardians who shame and diminish and uh, emotionally belittle the children in their care is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I totally think you put your finger on it that, like, they needed to make it more explicit that she's villainous. Mm-hmm. Not just, this is what orphanages are like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And no one ever calls her out on it. Exactly, yeah. No one in the movie says, you're horrible for treating the girls this way. This is, that's, I think that's what bothers me, is within the world of the movie, no one ever says, don't do that. And there are children left in that home yeah. at the end of the movie. They don't all get rescued. No. The three girls do, but they leave behind, at least we see two other kids. And there's another kid in the box of shame when they come back from selling cookies. Exactly. And so, yeah, they never come back to that. And we know from the two other movies that they make, they never come back to that. And I think that that's that's just a shame and really unfortunate. And I think watching this movie as someone who as like when I think about my children watching this movie, they're being raised in a loving household. And so to them, they can laugh at that and go like, that's way over the top. But I just, just knowing that there would be children watching this who might not realize that. I think that's where I take this way too seriously is that I know, I just happen to know a lot of foster kids and worry about what that what message that's telling them yep yep is there anything else you want to talk about about the uh, adoption and foster care because i made you stop on miss hattie's yeah i feel like you were gonna keep going it's mostly miss hattie that i have the problem with it's also the the very idea of sending someone back yeah that's is very harmful you would address next yeah is the very yeah the very idea that you might get sent back at any minute is very harmful for adopted kids to hear for foster kids to hear the idea of there's no background check there's no checking their home they just let you go off for the with the first person who says hey i'll adopt these kids when of course that process is long and involved and very difficult and of course Gru would never in a million years get to adopt these kids. But that's, I mean, I'm kind of willing to suspend my disbelief and willing to be. There is a line about your background check all went through. So we have to, I think, assume that Gru through technological manipulation has like made the appropriate papers appear. Oh yeah. And it shows that. Yeah. But I mean, they don't go through the detailed things that they would normally, but yeah. So there is, like, Gru is a villain and he villainously figures out how to game the system. Yeah. But it is a problem that that system can't, shouldn't be able to be gamed. 
it's the thing about the thing about gaming the system is i think uh doesn't bother me very much although it's a good point you make that like for kids who are looking to be adopted who are in foster care and looking for a forever home um the con the prospect that like it could be anyone and they don't really care about you when they're adopting you is frightening mm-hmm, exactly but it was the sending back mm-hmm. was the thing that i really was like you can't you you can't just send a kid back <laughs> yeah exactly. that's not how it works but also like there are guaranteed going to be kids who watch this movie who are in some kind of care, whether it's foster care or adopted. Uh, and this movie has just told them that it's possible that the people taking care of them will just change their minds. And in foster care, I guess you can. Uh, mm-hmm. But adopt, they use the word adopted. Uh, in the movie he's adopted them mm-hmm, exactly so like even in foster care that's a really horrible uh reality to stress for kids that mm-hmm. like hey the people might change their mind and decide they don't want you anymore um and for adoption like that's horrible that's mm-hmm. a horrible thing to tell kids that your adopted parents might change their mind and give you back. That's horrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just feel like if I take this, if I take this movie as we do way too seriously, that I look at that and go, this whole adoption storyline is just deeply problematic. And I love that it ends happily and that, he learns to love and these girls do end up in a home that is good and loving, especially considering the other movies, but everything leading up to it is so such a problem. Yeah. And we could like, I don't think that we're given enough to go on to dig into it at all, but we could also like talk about that they're orphans, uh, which means they're orphan sisters, which means that, uh, their parents had to have been alive. At least their mom had to have been alive when Agnes was born, which means that Margot remembers them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's super unexplored, but like, that's oh, yeah. a thing. Margot's got deep emotional problems. If you, if you just scratch the surface even slightly. <laughs> exactly. And there's that moment where she is like, you're never going to be my dad. Yeah. And he's like, fine with me. Yeah. And like, no, but like she's she's a troubled kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or troubled in the sense of she has a lot of uh, emotional baggage. She has a lot of uh, trauma in her past. Yep, exactly. They all do, but Margot especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's just like it's pretty a thing. pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but hey, now they get to be friends with minions. Yeah, so that's kind of (laughs) nice. So what else needs to be taken way too seriously in this movie, Paul? What do we want to say about gender in this movie? Hmm. The three girls talk to each other about each other. So it passes the Bechdel test and they talk to Miss Hattie about cookie sales and each other. And like, they pass the Bechdel test easily. Yeah. Um, What do we, I mean, like... I feel like quite apart from all the adoption issues, Miss Hattie as the sole adult female character is like a representative of womanhood in this movie that is not a very good one. Mm-hmm. Not one I'm very happy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly the way that she's so easily flattered Yep. The way that she gives up, she gives the kids to Gru without properly vetting him because he compliments her in Spanish, uh, except he actually insults her in Spanish, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it depicts, because she's the only woman, it depicts women as shallow and uh, stupid. Yeah. It's 
I'm sorry. I'm thinking there's also Gru's mom. Oh yeah, yeah. Is there too? But she's really villainous. Like she's a horrible mother. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you, basically all the w- women in this who aren't under the age of twelve are horrible. Yeah, and what does that say? That says something. Right, it's and the saying... three girls are all pretty great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but like, you can't, all adult women are bad in this movie. And bad in a different way. Like, Gru is villainous, uh, sort of, ostensibly. Whereas his mother is fairly actually villainous within the frame of the movie oh absolutely yeah the like she's just constantly telling him that he's horrible and yeah. const- and like and being unimpressed with anything he does including building a working rocket and that's just like it's amazing he did anything with that kind of demotivation his entire life yeah and he's motivated by trying to uh earn his mother's love like that's sad is there anything to say about, uh, in terms of his mother, by the way, what do we think of the fact that, like, she's there at the end and she's uh, at the con, like, she's a bad mother, she's demotivating him, she belittles and uh, diminishes him, but she's still in his life and she's mm-hmm. still a part of his life and she still is the kid's, grand, like, adopted grandmother or something. Uh and she wants to have a relationship with them, and that kind of heals his relationship with her. What do yeah, you think that, of that? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if it heals it necessarily. Uh, I guess we see her saying, "I'm proud of you." You know, I'm proud end. of you. Yeah, you're right. And she says, "You're almost as good of a parent as me." Ha ha ha. And then she says. Maybe even better. Maybe even better. And he smiles. Yeah. So, like, she actually gives him affirmation at the end of the movie. Yeah. Not uh, backhanded. It She undoes the backhandedness. Okay, but if we're talking about gender, yeah. her, that motive, she has zero motivation to change. That has everything to do with Gru and absolutely nothing to do with her. Why on earth would she have changed? That's no, only to do... With yeah, so what I'm saying is, this movie is just showing us that uh, a woman who is horrible is magically changed because a man magically changed, yep. and she's had no. The story has not touched her at all, aside from her son has changed. So it's not very, uh, not very positive representation there. Yeah, she's very. She's that. very. She's very one-dimensional and without agency. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. And the same with Miss Hattie is one-dimensional and horrible and uh, just, uh, yeah, the easily flattered thing really bugs me. Yeah. It portrays a weakness and a... uh, shallowness. And it portrays neediness. a neediness that I'm just trying to put my finger on why that is so bad. And that he's in pretending to compliment her, but actually insulting her. And she's not smart enough to tell the difference. Exactly. So he doesn't admire or respect her, but his shallow words are enough to completely change her perception of him because she's not perceptive. She's not discerning. She's not a critical thinker. She's needy and desperate for his approval because her self-worth is tied up in how he perceives her, even though she's never even met him before. Mm-hmm. And and that's like her at her most likable. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So what that all says about this movie's perception of women is like... Not great. Yeah. Not great. Exactly. Is there anything else you want to t- take way too seriously? I mean, we could, I don't know how much to seriously I want to say about it, but we could touch briefly on the evil bank and mm. what is the difference between an evil bank and just a bank. 
for <laughs> evil bank of evil formerly leaving brothers yeah i think the movie like really explicitly is like this is an evil bank which is indistinguishable from a regular, from a regular bank. bank it got access through a special door but other than that yeah i think that's uh, clever and i love it <laughs> i don't know like i brought it up just to comment on the <laughs> that this is movie is making some kind of commentary on banking which is kind of a strange choice it did um, come out in 2010 yeah when banks were at their had their least public approval <laughs> exactly um but i don't really know what exactly i want i would want to make of that just that uh it's a virtue when Gru decides that he doesn't need to rely on the bank. The bank isn't trustworthy. The bank isn't reliable. The bank isn't fair in how it decides to divulge money because it, they're actually uh, bankrolling Gru's competitor specifically so that they can undermine Gru because their competitor is the banker's son. Mm -hmm. So like Gru pins his hopes on the bank being a fair source of a loan and it isn't. That's all very topical in 2010. Yep. Uh, And it maybe is still a commentary that is worth thinking about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We didn't touch on race and that's maybe like because Mm. we have what we have to say is boring at this point this movie is super white this movie is monochrome anything else seriously to take seriously in this there is one more and like it's not like a uh problematics of race and gender and sexuality seriously but it is a thing in this movie that i makes me really uh upset And I feel confident that when I explain how upset I am about it, people will all say, you're taking this too seriously. So it belongs in the way too seriously, and it is this. The girls spend so much time practicing for this dance recital that Gru doesn't go to. And they're practicing this swan lake, and they've choreographed their dance, and they've practiced it. And at the end, there's this super sweet moment where Gru assembles all the minions and his mother and him, and they recreate part of the recital, and they play the music, and the girls are dancing, and some stupid minion turns off the music and turns on the Bee Gees as if that isn't, and everyone acts as if that's an acceptable thing to do. And it turns into a big dance party when, like, they have practiced this thing. It's their moment to perform for someone they care about, something they have worked hard on. Don't okay. just turn that into a stupid Bee Gees dance party. That's not okay. Okay, here's the thing. What? I love this rant. And I knew it was coming. But here's here's the thing. They're doing an excerpt from Swan Lake. The little The little dance that we see, that's all of it. That's my counter theory. That's not all of it. <laughs> It was a recital. That was three, that was two minutes. Have you ever been to a recital? (laughs) Yeah, there are 90 children each doing a two-minute thing. (laughs) No, all the kids were on stage together. The little clip that we saw of the recital. They They have practiced more than that, and they didn't get a chance to show Gru, and Gru doesn't even care that they get, uh... Don't you know? Don't you know that stupid like Tchaikovsky is is not is totally boring. And, and now I'm like gonna <laughs> throw a table over because that is exactly what that is exactly the what subtext think. of this is like. Yeah, maybe you've worked hard on it and you love it and you care about it and you're gonna do something beautiful, but like your classical music isn't as cool as my disco. Uh, <laughs> And like, it's not the Bee Gees. It is the Bee Gees, isn't it? For real, well, you should be dancing. Okay, yeah, what he plays is the Bee Gees. Okay, (laughs) Pharrell Williams does the soundtrack and most of the songs, but that's a moment I looked it up. Okay, ah, (laughs) and it's like it's the preference for. I have no problem with the Bee Gees. I have no problem with Pharrell. Mostly, I have some problem with Pharrell, and it's basically around. his association, his t- tendency to steal music and his association with uh, Robin Thicke. But that's a whole different issue. <laughs> but like the, 
Calm down. Take a deep breath. Why is the Bee Gees so much better and cooler and funner than Tchaikovsky? Because it's uh, pop music is better than classical music because it's anti-intellectual and anti... Anti-excellence. Anti-excellence. Yeah. All right. Not that the Bee Gees can't, aren't, but like... Uh, Bee Gees are excellent. They don't ha- <laughs> not that they can't be perfectly enjoyed, but it is like, stop your meticulous, uh, carefully practiced excellence at this dance and just move around for a while and be mediocre instead. <laughs> yeah. It did... Um, I knew this scene bugged you going into it, and... What I noticed about it, because in my memory, it was like, yeah, but then the dance, like some fun dances as well. But no, not really. Actually, they just stop. They just they stop kind and of dance grew dance. And grew they watch grew dance. So yeah, you're because 100% like, right. and it's a thing that happens a lot too. Like it's it's this uh, mainstream pop culture is just more important than your esoteric classical interests. Don't <laughs> listen to opera, watch baseball. <laughs> I think this isn't just way too seriously, it's way too personally. <laughs> like, I just feel bad for them. And they, they act like they're happy. They're not happy. They're not happy to have the thing they've practiced be turned off. Yeah. And their dance to be upstaged by Gru. That's not everybody dance along. That's Gru gets on the stage instead of them and dances to his music instead of theirs. And the, the reason that that seems fun to the creators is because the creators are the kind of people who shut other people down and dance their own dance. Otherwise, they would recognize this as awful. Like, they are definitely... The people who like, I don't care about your stupid, boring music. Let's turn on the song that everybody loves and is popular. So you're saying they're white men? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Nobody wants their dad to come on stage and upstage them. No. Nobody. No. Least of all three girls who are doing a beautiful ballet. Exactly. Like Just let them finish their fork and dance. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I think, am I taking this too seriously? <laughs> I'm upset. I'm like actually upset. I know. <laughs> you, need, you need to calm down a little bit. You calm down a little bit. I'm calm, I'm calm. Let's talk about whether this is it good. Is it seriously good? I think it's good. I think there's no, we don't need to, I am going to guess you're not going to disagree with me at all. I don't yeah. think we need to debate it for a minute to say this is a good movie. Yeah, this is a good movie. After After all that, yeah, it's a good movie. Is it seriously good? <sighs> yes and no. Like, despite all that we've said, I don't think it's that bad. No. In terms of seriously bad. I would give it like a medium, but even more so. Yeah. Th- it leans towards good. I think it leans towards good also because although the depiction of adoption is pretty bad in a lot of ways, what you said at the beginning about like, it's really about them finding a new home and him finding a new home and them making a loving home together and that being good for all of them. And that what makes a family is choosing each other and loving each other, not biology. Uh, And that's actually a good message in terms of adoption. Yeah. Um, So for all those reasons, I also think it's, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's seriously good. But I think it's somewhere between medium and good. Yeah, I agree. Despite all the issues we raised. Yep, that's that's where I would land as well. Yeah. So, all right. If you want to tell us how much you love the Bee Gees and hate <laughs> and hate Tchaikovsky, or the opposite, I'm not like. Don't <laughs> you tell me. Oh. <laughs> Should I try that again? <laughs> Go ahead. Write me your emails about how Tchaikovsky's boring and baseball is the best. Why am I talking and about where, baseball? Where would they do that? <laughs> Paul, just give it to them straight. You can find us on Twitter at WTSCast. 
you can find me personally on Twitter at that Paul Moffat, and I'll like talk about <laughs> classical music sometimes. <laughs> All right, like fairly often, I'll have a like clip of classical music, and you can find out whether it exists, it's, whether it's good or seriously good. Um, you can say <laughs> you can send us an email. If what you have to say is either longer than a tweet or you don't want to make it public, you can send us an email at waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. Those are the two places that we check the most often, but we're also on Facebook, on Reddit, on Instagram, on Line. (laughs) And you can find us through the show notes at all those places. If you like this show, please support us. You can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can also rate and review us, and that will help other people find this show. And the more listeners we have, the happier we will be, because that just is what we do instead of having the love of our parents. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true at all. No, that's not true at all. We both have loving parents. Um, Did you say Apple Podcasts? Yeah. I tuned, I tuned you out because you are too busy ranting. <laughs> so I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And if I am ever doing a music performance and you turn off the sound to play your pop music, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I accidentally maliciously destroyed your music. Hello, and welcome to our podcast. Is That's that, not how we talk. Is that actually how you're starting? No, I was just testing out the microphone. Is it working? They all work great. All right, then. This is NPR. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs>